Greetings! You are warmly welcome to join us here again for our monthly get-together at Revolution Live. We like the live aspect of it because we can ask your questions when you put them in the question box there. Um, and we can get our guest today, Peter Cohen from um, Terrawatt, to give us a flavour of his thinking, his knowledge, his experience uh, and what um, his, his amazing company understands. So. Peter Cohen, there you are, I believe, looking out of the window. I think you're in San Francisco. Is that correct? That's right. Here in downtown San Francisco. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you're warmly welcome. Have you heard about our show, um, Revolution Live? Is it something you've come across yourself? Yeah, I've been listening and it's, it's great. The, the, the live aspect, as you alluded to, and then also the speakers that you bring on and the variety of topics. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Well, no, you're warmly welcome. So we're going to be talking about strategies and solutions. That's what we like to focus on. We will talk about some problems, but we'd like to talk about solutions for fleet electrification. And we're going to go through a number of topics and aspects of that. But what we always like to do at the beginning, Peter, is um, before we've had the show, whilst we sort of told people what we're going to be doing is have a poll and see what people think. So I'm going to give every you and everybody else um, the latest on that, the final result. We've shut the poll, so don't vote. It won't count. Um, we've said fleet operators, what's the biggest challenge that you face in transitioning your fleet to electric vehicles? So um, nobody told us anything in the other comment. <laughs> that was zero. Um, but the next one up was range uncertainty, which is interesting. That was 18%, so a fifth of the respondents. Um, the second most uh, popular aspect was high upfront costs. Obviously, we all know that primarily because of the battery in an electric vehicle, they are at the moment not on price parity when you look at capital cost. We'll come on to total cost of ownership later, I'm sure. But, you know, we've asked people for their answer and that's what they've said. High upfront costs, that's 36%. But the majority of people, and I'm really interested in this because we're going to get into hopefully helping people have maybe a different view on this, nearly half, 46% of people said it's infrastructure availability. Um, any surprises in any of that, Peter? No, I mean, I think infrastructure is in our, our name and that's that's what we're here and in, in helping me say solutions are we provide, as you, as you said, but uh, infrastructure is definitely the first and foremost of uh, the solutions that we provide. Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, look, I tell you what, just to help, I bet you most people will know, but can you give us a little flavor of what Terawatt is all about just before we kick off going through a bunch of questions? And then, oh, by the way, just for the audience, in about half an hour, I'd like to come to you for questions. So please put them in um, the chat on the side there. Uh, we'll endeavor to get to as many as we can. If we get thousands, we probably won't do that. But if we get, you know, a few, we're going to try and do that. Of course we are. Um, but yeah, just to to kick off, Peter, give us a flavor of what Terawatt's all about, would you please? Sure thing. So Terawatt was purpose-built to provide EV charging solutions for fleets. So wherever you are in your EV journey, whether you're starting to think about planning and strategies, uh, which is what we'll talk about today, for how to adopt electric vehicles and work them into your fleet, to implementation and infrastructure and operations and maintenance, uh, we have a team that handles everything to provide a one-partner solution to help you on your journey. So uh, we focus in North America for now. Uh, I know there's a very global audience here, so curious to get the questions from around the globe, but really just trying to be that purpose-built provider such that the electrification process is simplified and accelerated, uh, and the team is here every day uh, working on that mission. 
Excellent. And funnily enough, um, well before we've met, it was in fact, might be even been a, might have been 18 months, a couple of years ago. I quoted your CEO, Neha Palmer, for saying that I'm going to get this right here. I made a note of it. Um, EV charging is the next billion dollar market. Um, that was in 2021. That's right. And she highlighted the emerging market for electric vehicle charging infrastructure, particularly for medium and heavy goods vehicles. So we're now in the middle of 2023. Where do you think the market is now, given what your CEO said a couple of years ago? And bear, remember, she's the CEO, so mind your answer. Exactly. Not. Oh, sorry, what I should say, by the way. Yeah, sorry, what I should say, because this to me is really significant, is your CEO formerly was at Google, where I believe her responsibility was about the development and progress and the use of renewable energy. So to my mind, given the epic scale of Google's activities and the need for a tremendous amount of energy, I'm, I'm fascinated that she's now your CEO working at Terrawatt. But yeah, how have we moved on since that mention she made in 2021, Peter? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're extremely lucky to have Neha as our CEO and had the pleasure of working with her for the last two years. But I, I think what she saw at Google with data centers is exactly what we're seeing with electric vehicle charging infrastructure and electric vehicle adoption. So data centers started as something in a, you know, supply closet, uh, with a few, you know, racks. And now it's tens of megawatts and purpose built and having providers similar to what we're providing EV infrastructure, really building these things at large scale. And so, EV adoption over the last two years has really skyrocketed, especially in the United States. The progression of the vehicle availability, penetration of adoption, as well as the power requirements and the scale of the infrastructure. And so there's a ton of momentum in 2023. And so I think Neha's words were extremely well put in 2021 and a lot of foresight into what 2023 looks like. Billions of dollars, more so than the, the billion dollar industry, for sure. We alone have raised a billion dollars of capital to help provide solutions in this space. Um, I just think there's so much incredible momentum for a mission that's doing good. Uh, and it's just great to see and be a part of. And so I've had the pleasure of having amazing conversations such as this one's with fleet operators and folks on their journey and just exciting to see what 2024, five, six, hold as we really start seeing those scale solutions, similar to how, like I said, the data center transition over time. Yeah. And and, and indeed, uh, you really are making great strides in, in America, absolutely ably helped by your president and, and the, the combined political approach, which, which is good to see. You know, it's not just Democrat-Republican, it's a combined ambition with the Inflation Reduction Act. That really is one heck of a stimulant to all of this, which is great. Um, by the way, just to give you a flavor, Peter, how international this event is, which I, I, I always feel very privileged to be part of that. We've got Stephen from the USA. We've got, oh, Len Lenny from Germany. That's great. Uh, we've got, um, Isa from the Netherlands. We've got Nigel from Spain. So, so look, we know the climate change ambition is, of course, it knows no boundaries. It knows no country uh, specific things. It's about everybody's challenge. Um, so it's good to see that we always get that international interest. Um, let me get on with some questions because what I'm keen to know is one of the questions in the poll was definitely about cost and that's a serious concern of people. So when we look at, you know, how, how that works, how do you work with people in helping them understand the total cost of ownership, not just the capital cost? Uh, looking at it over time, cost of energy, availability of that, all, all of these other things. Can you give us a little flavor on that? Sure. And I think total is the really important word there. It's not just the upfront cost. And I think that's what 
having the right solution set in place can enable. There are a lot of benefits to electrification and, and total cost of ownership and the progression there is something major. Uh, so fueling savings, you know, elect- electricity pricing is very stable relative to diesel as well as there's a lot of savings to be had for the cost of fueling with electricity versus diesel over time. So showing a, you know, a partner what that looks like when we're talking to them about a plan to put in some electric vehicles and how that scales, as well as the operations and maintenance savings. So if you're moving parts, it's just a lot more efficient of a vehicle uh, with a longer lifespan on the vehicle itself. And so as you look at, okay, this is what I'm gonna look at over the whole life of the vehicle and what it means to my business. Uh, the upfront cost is one piece, but how you look at the holistic view of it is really important. So uh, we help our partners uh, at Terawatt by looking at this picture of, okay, how do I start implementing these vehicles and what does that mean to my bottom line? Um, In addition to obviously the good that you're doing by taking carbon out of the transportation ecosystem. So just that those fueling savings, the operations and maintenance savings, something that we can calculate out and show somebody, hey, look, Here's your break-even point, and especially now as we have a lot more momentum with OEMs providing more vehicles, there's more production, those costs are coming down. So I think it's only going to get improved over time, and depending on if you have light, medium, or heavy-duty vehicles in your fleet or a mixture, obviously those break-even points come at next one, two, five years in terms of really, truly uh, enabling a positive decision from a TCO, total cost of ownership perspective, in addition to the positive decision you're making from the environmental impact from electrification. Yeah, look, you cover a lot there, but just if I can quickly kind of unpick it, mm-hmm. the bottom line here is for commercial vehicles, particularly commercial and fleet operators, the number one consideration has to be cost, has mm-hmm. to be this, this principle of going electric is predicated on the business running in a profitable fashion. Of course it is, because mm-hmm. whilst we'd like to have climate heroes, if we can call them that, um, people have to pay the bills. They have to run an operation where they've got a product and a service that's competitive. They have to do Mm -hmm. all of those things. So it's good to hear you explain what you have there. There's a bit of jealousy on my part as a European, by the way, which I suppose is inevitable at this time. You mentioned that the general pricing kind of stability of things in terms of diesel or or electricity even. We've not enjoyed that of late here in Europe for Mm -hmm. for the reasons that I think you know, the, the, the war in Ukraine with Russia. Um, that hasn't helped. So to a certain extent, for some European operations, they've been slightly edgy on this cost proposition in terms of the fuel, the energy cost. But this is only a temporary situation which will evolve and people have to look at the long term. So that's mm-hmm. good. And, and, and again, talking about money, because as much as we like to talk about climate and, and other things, you know, money makes the world go round. Um so Terawatt, if I'm, if my notes are correct, because I try to make sure I'm prepared, um, raised over a billion dollars in terms of illustrating how important fleet electrification is. Could you give me a flavor of why you think that happened? Where has the investor community, governments, the people with all of this money, uh, shareholders, whether they're family offices or even private individuals, where do you think their confidence has started and how can we sustain it, Peter? Sure. So I think that the reason why the success of our organization to raise the money, um, in addition to obviously the caliber of the people to accomplish the task that we've set out on is really just that this is happening. It's, it's coming at scale. And so the scale is the key word for enablement. A billion dollars will get us a good chunk of the way, but it's nearly enough to solve the problem on a national scale. Uh, it'll be billions of dollars, tens of hundreds of billion dollars. The IRA Act, you mentioned, you know, such a large amount of capital to help this, but help is the key word. So I think you've seen some use cases that at the light duty scale 
that have been successful in terms of improvement, the, the operation of the vehicle, the, you know, there's no the noise reduction, the quality of the driver's life is a big thing that we talk about as well. It's been proven out and now it's scaling. So investors, I think, are really trying to say, hey, okay, great, how do we accelerate this? How do we provide ways for this to happen faster, easier, and a new product offering that makes the ecosystem really come to fruition? And so I think with government incentive and, and alignment with the technology really being here, it's just a perfect storm. That means that the next five, 10 years are going to be a really exciting time. Uh, transition, which is something that we talk about here in terms of decision making and understanding of why you were going through electrification and how um, and transitions are challenging, uh, as we'll talk more about, obviously. But um, just really all the pieces that are put in place for fleet operators uh, and consumers to really lean in on electrification and not have any problems, you know, really standing in their way to to full electrification. Yeah. And and, and again, there's there's a lot in that answer. Um one of the aspects that I don't think gets the attention it should, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, is whilst fundamentally, of course, this is a carbon reduction proposition, it is equally about air quality and improving air quality in our towns and cities. So a lot of urban operating vehicles are taxis, buses, vans, trucks, etc. How much attention is that getting, well, in, in America, because you're talking to us from San Francisco, um, you know, the general narrative seems to be on climate change and on CO2, understandably. But what about air quality? Is that an important thing for your operators and the people, your customers, people you're working with? Definitely. And, and especially here in California, you know, the Air Resources Board, uh, CARB CARB, is a huge proponent of electrification and implementing policies and, and incentive programs to help for the adoption. Disadvantaged communities get hit really hard with this, especially for industrial zones. But it's definitely top of mind. I mean, moving from personally New York to California, I didn't really grow up with fires or air quality being something that I think about. Uh, and then here living in San Francisco, the fires in Napa, when I moved over here, it was a very real experience where you walk outside and you have to wear a mask because you can just taste the smoke in the air. Uh, that's obviously a very extreme example, but just, I think, you know, New York recently with the Canadian fires, uh, I think localized examples, but it's something very real and, and being around more electric vehicles, even though it's a little earlier on the, the fleet side, it's coming seeing the quality of life that it improves and, and on a localized level, but hopefully now on a national level, um, it's really important. And I think that's another thing where transitions are challenging, as I mentioned, but having a good mission behind you is a good motivation tactic for understanding, you know, what are you doing? Why are you going through this change such that we can get to tomorrow, which won't have any change. It'll just be the new standard. I know horses to cars is a big change, but now look at, you know, where we've come so far in yeah. the last hundred years. And the next stage truly is electrification where we can have zero emission transportation in cities and communities. And I think it'll be funny to think back of walking around near tailpipes all day, breathing in emissions. You know, we've all been at that corner intersection and a big truck or bus goes by and you get hit with some smoke. It's, it's not very pleasant. It's just the reality we live in today, but it doesn't have to be. I think that's the exciting part. So it's a really yeah. interesting point that I don't think you mentioned, you know, we live in the fleet world and dollars and cents is really what gets talked about or euros and pounds or whatever you, you might be using. I uh, get talked about the most, but there's a really good mission behind all of this. And it's really exciting to be a part of and needs to get more attention. 
Good. Well, I, well, well, I'm with you on it because I do think that when you get the negative press, and we've had some of that here in Europe recently, certainly in the UK, which all talks about the carbon intensity of building batteries and making electric vehicles, you know, we shouldn't be shy of these things. They are what they are. And we should look at the comparisons. And when they're fair and reasonable, we work with them. But what they rarely talk about is that from day one of operation, a battery electric vehicle has no emissions coming out the back of it because it doesn't have a tailpipe. And your point about standing on that corner of an intersection, that stuff kills people. I mean, not only is it unpleasant, but I'm afraid for some people, you know, the increased incidence of respiratory illness, particularly, you know, asthma and things like that. It can't be coincidental that we've got a lot more vehicles on the road. And certainly when I was a boy, when I was growing up, uh, and I think we should do more of that. But listen, I'm, I'm, I'm rabbiting on too much about that now. So let me move on to another thing. Um, this is a bit of a hot potato at the moment. So forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, it is kind of my job in how we do this event. Um, CCS or CCS one, mm -hmm. to be precise in America and NACS, the North American charging system or charging, um, stat, no, it's not standard. It's a system, the Tesla system, basically. Where are we with that at the moment, Peter? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm a fleet operator, and I know nothing about electric vehicles. And I read this recent news about GM, Ford, Rivian, others joining Tesla. I'm thinking, what are they talking about? What's the big mm -hmm. deal? Can, can you give us, can you unpick that situation as to where it is right now, please? Try my best. Uh, I think the biggest thing is you, if you're a fleet <laughs> operator, this is just another piece of the puzzle that you have to figure out in a world that is probably different than your daily operations of diesel vehicles and consistent from your entire life dealing with fleet vehicles, how things were. And so as you're approaching electrification, I think it's just, we need alignment is my, is my big takeaway here. I think standardization of practices from reporting, from technology, um, giving people fewer things to think about as they're approaching electrification, having a good experience is important. We as a partner in this ecosystem have experts who are focusing on technology and trying to be a good resource and provide good information into the market. Um, but I think differences in the best standard out there is, it's not my, uh, my personal job to be the expert on that, but just understanding what does it mean for the end fleet operator. I think alignment and standardization are really important. So as you choose yeah. what vehicle to use, you want to make sure that charging hardware is, or charging infrastructure is available and usable and having two different ports uh, makes that challenging. So people talk about iPhone versus Android cables and things like that and how it creates siloed ecosystems. I think we really want to push for alignment. And it's interesting to see we're in the middle of a transition again um, to see where we land in America. It sounds like there's a lot of traction behind NACS um, on the light duty side of things. Heavy duty world is still very much CCS1. Um, the megawatt charging standard is the, is the next forefront in terms of speed and availability. And so there's a lot of organizations out there that we are also a part of focusing on standardization of what that looks like. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just we as providers in the ecosystem need to make sure we're having alignment on the products that are being pushed out for the end user to make their lives easier and more straightforward so that they don't add in more questions than just looking for solutions. Hmm. Gotcha. We've got a few more questions coming in, but I'm just going to do a couple more minutes just to show and out if I can. And on that point about charging, charging standards, um, where do you think we're going with vehicle to grid? And is that going to be a significant mm. part of the story? And for anyone that doesn't know what the hell are we talking about, basically where you can, instead of charging up the battery, the battery can charge up other things. So yeah. can you give us your sense of that, please, Peter? 
Definitely vehicle to grid. And also I think I would throw in there L2, which is, you know, slow charging versus DC fast charging level three. All considerations when you look at your fleet and the operations, understanding what is the most efficient from a time and cost perspective charging solution. Is it I have an eight hour dwell time overnight and I can charge my vehicle very slowly and be ready for the day and I only go 100 miles? Or is it I only have two hours and I need a full charge? Uh, it's very dependent on the fleet and maybe even locations within a fleet's operations. So I would throw in vehicle to grid. We've seen works well. Um, school buses is a big application here in the United States where they go low mileage during the day. They're mostly parked. And that battery that the vehicle has can be utilized during peak times to bring energy back to the grid at a lower cost than taking more energy from the grid and also reducing that peak demand. So I think vehicle degree is an interesting technology, just dependent on the fleet's use case to enable its benefits. And just an understanding another piece of when you look at what an operation is, what's the best charging solution that, that fits what the day-to-day operations of the fleet are. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think the potential for vehicle to grid, vehicle to load, vehicle to home, all of this is immense. And in mm-hmm. many ways, given that cost of a battery, the cost both in financial terms and resources, we have to have that. I think it's got to be an essential part. But you're right. It's obviously got to fit into the equation of how much of the battery does the fleet operator need to use to make the vehicle move, obviously, mm-hmm. um, compared to how can they use it to think. But those school buses, I mean, I mean, putting you on the spot, how many school buses, those big yellow things, are mm-hmm. there in the United States? There must be hundreds of thousands of them. I'm not, I'm not, that's a good question. I, I, I don't have the answer to that, but I, a, number, a good number, definitely. And so then you think about that, that's a lot of batteries that are parked, yeah. and utilized to put back into the grid. It's interesting technology for sure, uh, with a lot of yeah. potential, um, just dependent on, again, the fleet's use case. And, and if that makes sense, um, obviously it's another, from the charging infrastructure perspective, you have to have the capability to put energy back into the grid. Uh, there's also considerations on a utility level, if that is, you know, it's a different relationship with utility, you know, pushing and pulling electricity versus just pulling. Um, so a lot of considerations for the potential, but obviously when it makes sense, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to, to, to the audience. So so fleet operations obviously vary, you know, significantly. There's small small fleet, local operations, and then big national sort of players, et cetera. Can, can you give us an overview of the, you know, different types of fleet operations that, that TerraWatt are dealing with? Sure. I would say that they're, they're like snowflakes. There's so many and they're very interesting and unique to each, <laughs> each individual partner. Um, but just to bucket a few. So we deal across light duty vehicles. So passenger vehicles that you or I might transport around, like in behind me in San Francisco here, uh, medium duty, and then also all the way up to heavy duty, uh, which is, you know, a tractor plus a trailer, big trucks that you see on the road. And each has different use cases. I kind of started talking about with vehicle to grid. So on light duty, Maybe it's a ride hailing or something like that, where there's a lot of mileage being put on, uh, putting passengers all around the, the city, maybe doing 100 to 200 miles a day, depending on what they're looking at. And then, you know, not that much downtime. You probably need a lot of fast charging. Uh, you're going to be on the road a lot. When you're off the road, that means that there's money lost from a business perspective. So making sure that those cars are up and on the road all the time is really important. Um, you can get a lot of different vehicles that can fit that use case, which is great because they're passenger vehicles. On the heavy duty side, uh, you know, that's trucking operations in the U.S. There's long haul trucking, which can go 600 plus miles a day. There's also regional trucking, which is where you see a lot of electrification starting with where lower mileage routes, um, you know, food and beverage distribution is a good one where they go and bring all the food from the warehouse to restaurants throughout the day and then dwell overnight. So they only go back to the same warehouse every day, which is good from 
from a charging perspective. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of companies in that space starting to adopt electric vehicles as well. They only do a certain number of miles a day that fit the use case of the vehicles. So very extreme ends of the spectrum in terms of the vehicle size and the operations that they're doing. Uh, but the key part is understanding, okay, if you're a fleet operator, you know, back to the audience here, if you're a fleet operator, what, what does my operations look like? Is it the same everywhere? Or where, where do I have my buckets of operations? Uh, how many miles am I doing? And what kind of vehicles are available? To start painting that picture of where should I start? Where can I start electrification the easiest and start scaling and incorporating more vehicles as you start, you know, further on your EV journey? Yes. Well, but that is a heck of a collection of different types, et cetera. So listen, if you're a one-stop shop for all of that stuff, I can see how and why you raised a billion dollars and why you've got, you know, the people that you've got um, heading up the company and all, all the rest of it. But can, can I just, I'm, I'm curious about something. So if you're in a truck 600 miles a day, that can't be one driver. Do, do they have a team? Are there two drivers in the cab or something? How does that work? Does so that it work? varies. Some of them will have multiple drivers. There's driver brakes. There's different regulations impacting how those operators go about their day. Uh, that's, a, that's a long haul. That's also the, the end of the spectrum where we'll see electrification probably hit the latest, just given the vehicles today. Yeah. I uh, don't yet have that range. Uh, just to give an example of the variety of use cases, but really looking at the crawl, walk, run of it in terms of the easiest electrification into the medium and then harder. Uh, just for if you're a fleet operator, understanding taking as many variables out of the equation as possible to make sure that you have a successful electrification strategy. And that's something that we talk about with our partners all the time is, well, let's look at your operations and pick an area that's easiest, you know, the routes that fit, and then we'll work from there. Yeah, and, and I guess, look, the, I've had the great privilege over the last 18 months uh, here with EV Box and with Revolution Live of talking to all sorts of people running businesses in support of all this. Of course, the big benefit, obvious benefit, is that you're learning all the time because you're mm -hmm. dealing with so many different companies and so many different challenges and problems and finding the solutions for them. You're getting better and better at it all the time. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, this is why people knock at your door. Of course it does. But let's go, let's go to some audience questions, um, Peter. So Addy Rodriguez says EVs are a new technology. Fleet managers are hesitant and for good reason. Uh, what are some ideas to overcome that hurdle? Do you think proving a lower TCO is the first step in getting them moving or is it operational predictability and certainty? Mm. And I know from my previous life, by the way, at Modec, where we had, we were selling to FedEx and UPS. The number one thing was always reliability. You mm -hmm. know, if these things go down for any period of time, it's a disaster. So, um, but, but anyway, what, 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 what about Addy's question? How would you answer that? Yeah, that's a great question. I always say the operational side is extremely important. Cost will come down and, you know, you can plot that out. You can see where technology is going. There's so much momentum behind bringing the vehicle cost down, infrastructure, that that's going to happen. That's a market consideration. I would say that the operational understanding is very important and unique to each fleet. They have to understand what's my infrastructure going to look like? How am I going to incorporate this into my existing operations as I transition? So I would say having a grasp on that, making sure that you have motivation and alignment from the top down of your organization. There's a lot of different people that have to come together to have an effective electrification strategy from operations and facilities and fleet. So we as a partner want to make sure that we can take on as much of that as possible to be to make sure that the transition is a positive one. Reliability, as you said, is extremely important. Uh, making sure that the system's reliable, the charging infrastructure is reliable. It just needs to work. People are so accustomed to, you know, ICE vehicles just working and that's what they're used to. Uh, we want to make sure it's the same for EVs. 
Yeah, uh, here, 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 here. Great question, Andy. Thank you for that. Stephen says, do EV charging solutions come with a fuel monitoring system? Definitely. So as you look into the EV charging infrastructure, uh, there's a software package that comes with them, understanding how much power are you drawing at what time? Uh, how do you reduce costs as a good part of that are you charging you know not all kilowatt hours are created equally so if you charge your vehicle in the middle of the day versus overnight you're going to experience different costs um, so that's a huge factor also in terms of what's the most efficient way to charge your vehicles when uh, and, and and how much power are you using and is it is it is the most important factor in understanding that so monitoring of the charging infrastructure is definitely something that is out there and helps fleet operators understand what the, what their fleet is doing yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Makar from India says, why this might stump you, Peter. So uh, uh, don't worry if any of these do. Makar says, why is V2G technology still not supported by CCS? Oh, uh, I don't know the answer to that one. That might, that's a stumper. Uh, it might just be to the, the earlier point about how widespread the use cases are that need V2G. I think it's a little more niche uh, right now. And so just if it were to become more widely requested and needed, it, it probably would get more attention. Um, that would be my assumption. I don't know if it's the yeah. actual answer, but that would be my guess. Well, well I, I, I happen to know a little bit about this. I'm not going to profess to be an expert, but the beginning of this was with a completely different charging system called Chadamo, which was in Japan. Mm -hmm. And it was about making batteries available post the... Um, the, the 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 terrible challenge they had with with Fukushima and you know everything that happened after the tsunami um, and so it was a government led proposition that said batteries have to work both ways they have to feed to the grid as well as being charged up to be e e EVs um, it was never designed into the CCS protocol and it's only in relative recent times that that's been the case so the alignment between how that system works, how the battery management system works, how different vehicles are prepared for that, prepped for this in terms of hardware or software, is something that's taken time, which is probably why Tesla haven't had it up until now. But Macar, that's that's the best we can answer in terms of your question. But I mean, I think collectively what Peter said and I said, it's coming and I think it will be coming fast. But but good good question. Um, another one before we get back into a bit of structure from, from Greg. Gregory Jarry says, do you see fleet operators looking for bundle offers? Energy plus charge point at the office, depot plus charging, mobility service on the road, et cetera, fleet supervision. Mm -hmm. Or do they look for separate offers? That's a really good question, Gregory. That's a great question. We see definitely a lot of uh, look for the package, you know, the, the bundle, as you said. Uh, Terawatt is a one-stop shop for solutions across the spectrum of your needs, as an example. Um, I think there's so many considerations out there. There's It's a lot of new technology and new understanding. And so we see a lot of folks looking, hey, look, they're the experts in their business. Um, this is a new but definitely growing and bigger piece of their business. So looking for partners that can provide as much as possible to help them. Uh, I, I think having a, a a la carte menu makes that a little more challenging, just making sure you're picking the right partners, picking the right solutions. Um, we aim to be that partner, as an example, to pick all those solutions for you uh, and help you just meet your needs. So very solution-oriented, I think, is exactly how the industry is, is evolving here um, to provide the solutions that are needed by any good one fleet, which there's many. So I think having the bundle helps a lot. Yeah. 
Now, you've mentioned, and I might have sort of suggested it myself, that we're still at this work in progress. We've still got Mm -hmm. things being developed. There is, as the industry keeps telling people, better stuff coming. Why wouldn't you just wait then if you're a a fleet operator, a fleet manager, and think, okay, I'll I'll maybe wait a year, maybe two or three years, and then all of this will be sorted. Why should people do it now, Peter? Yeah, and I think that's one of the big pitfalls we see is the hesitancy to you know be on the back foot. We've seen a lot of success from partners out there who are being proactive about their adoption, engaging early with infrastructure, uh, engaging early with how these vehicles work into their operations to seize the benefits. So I personally like to be more proactive than reactive. I think this is a really exciting new technology, but it definitely has a lot of benefits in the folks that are being proactive about engaging with it early or seeing a lot of the benefits and being at the forefront of adoption uh, in a way that ultimately is a competitive advantage to their business, whatever that might be. Um, so I would say that if you are a business and you want to be successful, having a proactive advantage is probably a good thing. Uh, and I would suggest that's what we've seen a lot of success in. Yeah. And again, harking back to the past, forgive me, I don't want to sound like an old bloke talking about what used to happen back in the day, but um, last mile delivery, package delivery, things like FedEx, UPS, all of these companies that, that, that deliver stuff, Amazon, of course, the big one, um, and we've seen some big moves by a few of those companies. And the one that sticks in my mind was definitely Amazon's massive order of Rivian of 100,000 vehicles. Um, they're not on the road yet, but they are starting to be delivered. I think the first ones in Europe have started to happen there. Um, so do you think, if you kind of analyze the market, that there, there are some parts that are really going to take off fast and, and things, you know, you mentioned trucking earlier, to mm-hmm. take take that bit longer but where's the sweet spot right now if i'm listening mm. to this now as as a as a fleet uh, manager um what what is the best sort of person and size of fleet to be talking about would you say yeah and amazon's a great call out the, the rivian vans is, i've seen a, a number on the road here in san francisco and across the country they've had a really successful deployment um that's a that's a great use case because the vehicles are they don't go that many miles in the day so i think it's i don't know probably 100 or so here in the u.s um, they have a long dwell. No one's delivering packages overnight to your air pollution point. They're in metropolitan areas. So if that vehicle is parked outside and there's no emissions coming out of the tailpipe, that's a great benefit to the community. And the vehicles are available. You know, maybe in van, there's alternatives. There were historically some retrofitted vehicles. So that checks a lot of boxes in terms of available vehicles, use case fits. There's a long time to charge, which means that you can provide cheaper and more efficient charging infrastructure. But I think there's a number of use cases out there. There's, like I mentioned earlier, there's so many different types of fleets and uh, all sorts of fleet operators can have a, a successful deployment right now. Uh, the question is just how much of your operation makes sense. You know, in terms of vehicle availability is a big one. So if you have a custom tractor that has a you know, boom pole on it or something like that, that's maybe a little more specialized. If you're a delivery van, if you're a passenger vehicle, uh, starting to get now into the, the heavy duty trucking, um, those vehicles are available at scale, which makes it, you know, you can't really have an electric fleet if you can't buy any vehicles. That's the first thing. And then the <laughs> infrastructure as well that fits the business use case, I think is really important. Yeah, I mean, you're right, though, is kind of chicken and egg. And and I think for too long, there weren't those vehicles. But Mm -hmm. certainly people like Rivian are there. GM are there. Bright Drop are there. Ford are certainly there. Um, You know, 
And, and I, I think where the compelling case works well for those is very much about TCO. You talked about that earlier. Um, you know, if you walk into the room, if you walk into a corporate office, a fleet manager or a boardroom of any of these big logistics companies and say, would you like to save the planet? I think everyone would stick their hand up. Uh, but in yeah. truth, you know, maybe not quite so fast and, and publicly they would, but maybe privately not so much. And that's not a criticism. But if you walk into that same boardroom and say, would you like to save the company a bundle of money? The hands definitely go up. Yeah. Because, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's what it's all about is, is managing cost, delivering service, getting all of those things. Absolutely right. Um, but can we move on to something else, which I think is still an early day kind of thing, which is, power and energy. Um, obviously, we're looking at drawing a lot of energy from the grid, the power management systems, grid connections can be a challenge for the charge point operators. But where do you think we're going to go with big fleet operators, if you like owning their own energy, their own system, their own microgrids, having their own ability to generate solar or wind energy and actually tap into that in their own operations. Mm. Are you seeing evidence of any of that going on at the moment, Peter? I think what we're seeing is uh, a, a desire to enable a solution, which is keeping the vehicles on the road. And that means you need charging infrastructure. And so I think to piggyback on the point about the vehicle availability, that's probably the biggest change I've seen in the last two years here at Terawatt is vehicle availability is widespread and across different duty cycles. Uh, duty cycle, just, you know, different vehicle types. Uh, so the vans were starting to come to the market and now they're very much here. The trucks were starting to come to the market. Now they're very much here. But at the same time, infrastructure is, is a long process. You know, it takes a long time to build, uh, at scale, the things that we're talking about. So, and the recommendation, we'll come back to these, I'm sure, is engage in infrastructure early because it takes longer than fleet acquisition. Um, but in terms of those fleets and then the power availability, it's, they're trying to enable a solution, which is keep the vehicles on the road, which means you need to have charging available. And so to the, the poll question of infrastructure being very important, I totally agree. And that's what we're here building at Terabyte every day. Uh, the question being, What's the most efficient way to provide that? Is it every single fleet building their own infrastructure, building their own grid, building whatever they might be building themselves, or something more shared, something that's uh, utilized across a couple of fleets, uh, open to the public? There's different use cases and different scenarios that make sense for all of it, but uh, really just dependent on what's the most efficient way to utilize the power that we're creating and uh, infrastructure that we're putting in place because it's expensive and, and robust assets. And we wanna make sure that TCO it pencils for everybody in the most efficient way. Yeah. Now you, you touched on something I think really significant there about collaboration. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. have you yet found any uh, propositions where a couple of fleets come together and work in a way in which they share a particular resource, mm. particularly in charging, I guess we're, we're talking about. Um, and whilst the, perhaps they are in competition, maybe sometimes they're not, but, but this, this world of trying to find the mix between collaboration and competition, how, how is that going? Cause you, you kind of alluded to it there and I'm, I'm fascinated by this because, because yeah. I think this is a, this is a key. This is a really important part to accelerating things and making things happen faster. I love those conversations and we're starting to have them more frequently, which makes me really excited for just what the industry is becoming. I think, um, especially on the heavy duty side of things, there was more in the pilot phase, figuring out what the vehicles look like. Now we're in the scale phase. Same thing for the delivery vans uh, and the light duty fleets as well. And so collaboration is really exciting to me in the sense of what does this ecosystem look like? How do we leverage shared learnings and make the best solutions? Um, because ultimately, this is a, a new change to our infrastructure and our system. You know, 
there's there's public gas stations, there's more private fueling islands, um, but it's it's in a more adopted and, and developed ecosystem. What is that going to look like for electrification? So I'm really excited for organizations coming together. I encourage it across you know the globe wherever you're dialing in from um just the best thing is sharing of best practices sharing of technology because uh, ultimately it'll mean that we're just providing a better solution and back to the, the initial goal of reducing carbon emissions that's the best way to do that so we're really excited about those conversations yeah no i i think i think it's essential and i think it could could provide some really fascinating ways in which we can speed this stuff up by the way, this isn't just a live show. Of course, this we record this and it'll go as a podcast. Many, many people will be listening to it right right now. Uh, so if you couldn't join the show, you weren't able to ask your questions, but but we've asked the ones that we've been getting in. Um, if I get any more, I'm certainly going to pop those up too. So I encourage anyone who's listening to to pop that question up there. Um, going back to that kind of collaboration of, of, of things then, have you looked at or are you talking with anybody obviously if it's commercially sensitive don't don't, don't answer um but battery swapping or wireless mm. charging just out of interest because we, we we have referenced this and i know there's a battery swap company in san francisco a startup actually so uh, are they on the roadmap for people at all i think it we haven't seen it as much per, on, uh, in terms of my conversations i know that they're out there um both on both the wireless and the battery swapping for us you know we're trying to look at the the fastest possible charging to keep vehicles on the road battery swapping is an interesting solution for that but um obviously comes with its own complications and considerations for getting back to collaboration on the vehicle side of things and and just a number of different factors um we tend to focus on charging infrastructure for the variety of vehicles that our fleet operators come to us with which to date is plugged in vehicles that are you know don't have the battery swapping capability uh, it's an interesting technology there's obviously some history there for some successes and failures over the years but curious to see what the future holds yeah i just remembered the company's called ample um mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're actually a startup based in, in san francisco because obviously this happened a few years ago now a good few years ago with better place but it didn't work out so i think mm -hmm. it made people think that wasn't a solution um but then we've had a few other things come along and that's kind of changed stuff um okay let, let me just try and pose this to you I, i've got a fleet let's hypothetically say a fleet of a thousand vehicles they operate a mix of you know urban operating defined mileage back to base and some of them longer routes they're all none of them are electric where the heck do i start peter How, if i yeah. come to you and say look we know we need to go electric where do we begin so we try five vehicles or you know, what's the typical process for how this gets adopted? I think first is setting a goal, you know, in a motivation, understanding of why are you going about this? You know, like you said, there's going to be a number of considerations you're going to have to make along the way, understanding from top down, you know, having alignment of your ambitions, your goals, and why you're approaching electrification so that when you embrace this new challenge, uh, you'll understand, you know, why you're doing it. And then I think second sounds like you as an imaginary fleet operator already have an understanding of your operations, which is really important. How many vehicles return to base? How many vehicles are longer uh, routes to understand bucketing of use case? And then I would say is, you know, uh, talking to a solutions provider such as Terawatt and understanding, okay, if I were to go about this electrification journey, where should we start? Location-wise, how many vehicles? And develop a pilot to understand, you know, how these vehicles operate in your actual business, and then you can make a plan to scale out the more challenging use cases, challenging from maybe a percent, a sense of longer driving per day, or maybe they're more remote. There's a consideration of how much charging do you need, and do you need in one location or multiple locations? So I think saying it's having that sense of motivation and alignment and goal 
and then understanding, you know, what are we looking at? How many locations, how many vehicles, how many different use cases to, to bucket them into categories for adoption? Yeah. Sure, sure. And I guess you've got by now, you've got some very nice use cases. You can, you can show some best practice stuff. I, I imagine you've got some of that to hand as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. And then you can say, okay, great. We have the plan. We can look at how many vehicles and what are the vehicle availabilities? Sort of they cost, start calculating out that total cost of ownership as we started talking about earlier to say, okay, this is my plan and then start implementing. So I think the first thing you should do is contact the utility. Say we pick a location and understanding how much power is available. Can I even electrify this location or how long is it going to take? Uh, and I say that's the proactive first step is understanding the power availability because utilities uh, are very widespread have uh, maybe longer timelines than your ability to acquire vehicles in some cases. Uh, and you might be surprised at how much power you do or do not have in many cases because you can't charge the vehicles with that power. So at Terawatt, we're, we're developing charging stations that are utilized for fleets at locations amongst uh, different warehouse hubs or where it's strategically relevant because we see that a lot of folks run into problems trying to develop on their own property. Either maybe they lease the property and they don't want to invest capital in a lease facility or their landlord isn't really trying to invest the infrastructure for them or they don't have the power availability or it might take a couple of years. And so there's a number of reasons why um, even if the best option or you would want to electrify your own location, you might not be able to in a way that's strategically advantageous to you or financially. Right. So, so again, there's a lot, lot in that answer. Thank you. But what, what I'm taking from that is my thousand vehicle fleet. If the sooner I come to you, the sooner I realize mm -hmm. that, well, actually, I might want to do it tomorrow, but it is going to take two years because of my grid connections, the amount of power I need at the facility, you know, mm -hmm. given that uh, the power is all being used to do whatever it is I do at, at this time. That, that's what you're saying, isn't it? And are you also exactly. saying, Peter, that, that, that you are a one-stop shop? I mean, because you've mentioned a few things here, grid connection, power management, you know, the data of analyzing what the travel patterns are, the best mix and, you know, all of that. Can you do everything? If, if I say, look, I'm just too busy to do all of this stuff. I'm running a company. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make it all work. Give me a tailored solution. That, that mm -hmm. after you've come and done a site survey, you understand my business, you've maybe, well, I hope you've talked to the drivers, all of this stuff. Can you package that into something that says, this is how you go forward? Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. And back to the question from the, the chat about the bundled solution, you know, we talked about a couple different things in your hypothetical use case just there that we find resonates nicely with fleet operators. Hey, here's what I want to do. I need someone to help me do it. And it's going to be a couple different things along the way. Uh, we have experts in-house, you know, covering all aspects of real estate acquisition, site development, policy engagement, utility engagement, uh, development and construction management, as well as operating and maintaining the charters. It's something we talked about too much. We mentioned they need to be reliable to make sure that the fleet keeps the vehicles on the road, but operating, maintaining chargers is a really important piece of this ecosystem to make sure that they are up and running every day and the fleet can keep you know their vehicles moving. Everything we're doing, though, is meant to let the, the company that we work with focus on their core operations, which is probably not charging infrastructure and, and, and development of charging infrastructure and trying to be that one-stop solution to help them on their journey. Yeah. Um, was... Can I, can I play devil's advocate for a minute? So there I am with my thousand vehicles at the moment. I know how they work. It's been mm -hmm. that way for years. Everything's mm -hmm. fine. Why do I really want to go on this journey of spending a lot more money about disruption, about all of these considerations, et cetera, 
why don't I just hang fire, you know, for another two, three or four years? You know, c convince me that electrification is the right way to go for my thousand vehicles, please, Peter. Okay. So tall order. Um, I think for I me, mean, first and foremost, <laughs> everything we talked about, the mission is really important of decarbonizing the planet, improving the air. So there's a lot of benefit on a macro aspect to, to be had. The TCO is going to pencil and it's starting to already. And so there's a lot of operational benefits of the savings that we discussed as well. And then back to the point earlier, I think if everyone adopted the mindset of being reactive instead of proactive, we wouldn't really be a progressive community. And so I think having encouraging adoption, encouraging proactive strategies to lean into electrification will bring on those benefits faster, just given that you've seen, you know, you mentioned earlier in the start of the podcast, the momentum we've been seeing in 2023 uh, relative to Neha's foresight in 2021. That has come, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of it's come from focus and attention to this this new technology that's not so new anymore. And so I think the more people that can be proactive and lean in and develop strategies, the, the faster the ecosystem will evolve and the quicker that everyone will see the benefits kind of realized in their business. So to your point, yeah. go in and say, who wants to save a lot of money? The best way is to encourage adoption because the more eyes on this, the better. Yeah, and, and, and again, and picking up on some of your points, some of this stuff takes time. So the mm -hmm. better you understand what that timeline is, um, mm -hmm. like with many good things, the sooner you start, the sooner you kind of finish. Um, the competition, I guess, you know, you've also got people who are doing it. And if you're not, uh, customers increasingly mandate that they've got to see your carbon footprint. They've got mm -hmm. to understand what you're doing. So I suppose, yeah, th 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 this, this stuff all, all, all fits into place. So do you have like a kind of, I mean, forgive me for kind of making it sounding a bit simple because I'm sure it isn't. But how does it actually work? Do, do, do you have like a, some sort of tool that inputs all of my details and mm. what I'm doing and then gives me like a, well, like a consultancy, basically? You come back sure. with a consultancy report saying it's going to take this amount of time, cost this amount of money. Um, or do you ever say to people, don't do it? Never say don't do it. <laughs> I think it's, it's, a little, it's a little less prescriptive. I think it's more collaborative in nature and it's how we like to go about our partnerships because it is so specific to a given fleet's needs. It's, it's, we utilize tools, we utilize data, um, but we see it as an ongoing relationship where we're out there every day talking to our partners, understanding their needs uh, and making sure that we're delivering on those with, with solutions that uh, provide the most reliable network of charging solutions. So it's really understanding where they are in their journey, their motivations and goals and helping them hit those goals uh, and having a very collaborative uh, partnership along the way. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm not asked this line of questioning isn't to labor, labor the point. But I'm just sort of thinking if I'm, if I'm, if I know nothing about all of this stuff, AC mm -hmm, charging, mm -hmm. DC charging, all that stuff, I just want some practical guidance mm -hmm, and help mm -hmm. to help me, you know, start at the beginning, if you'd like, and, and get that sense of, you know, A, B, C, D, E. How do, how do I, how do I go through it? But thank you. Mm -hmm. You, you've given me a good flavor on that. Going to chuck in a couple more questions from the audience. So, so, um, Daniel says, I guess big trucks, trucks would also benefit from battery swapping stations. Um, because they stand parked for a couple of hours charging. Um, any thoughts on that other than I know in Australia, I saw a fully charged episode, Robert Llewellyn's fully charged thing, and mm -hmm. they had big trucks doing battery swap, actually. So have you oh. come across those, the, what Daniel's talking about, Peter? 
You know, I think I've seen battery swapping the company amply referred to mostly on the passenger side. We think, you know, I alluded to the megawatt charging center earlier uh, and just the work that we're already doing with heavy duty trucks. Um, the use cases and the battery and the technology for the trucks themselves, we've seen a lot of resonation with the fast charging application. So it, I'm curious to see how the, the ecosystem evolves, um, but not so much for us in terms of, you know, a couple of hours also, those charge times are coming down. So faster technology, faster charging capabilities from vehicles. Um, that's coming down to, you know, sub one hour downward, you know, the gold standard being you know, more like a 10 minute gas station like experience. So um, that technology is really improving and increasing uh, as the vehicles are entering the market. So we're excited to see what, what it looks like. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we're getting towards wrapping up, but I think that's a great theme to finish on. Things are only getting cleaner, greener, better, faster, and inevitably at scale, cheaper. So I suppose, well, what you're telling me in my hypothetical thousand vehicle fleet is the sooner I get on with it, the better, because it's coming. And um, mm -hmm. on that point, um, another question, I think this is uh, Mark Rand. Um, with Norway accommodating 86% EVs in the country, what sort of policies should be implemented, especially mm. in a country where he says, like India, where EVs are getting popular? How much of this is carrot and how much of this is stick, do you think, going forward? It's both. I mean, and both are motivation tactics, you know, to the question of your hypothetical fleet, you know, just leaning in and being proactive. Having policies in place to require adoption definitely helps that decision making process. Having also policies in place to bring the costs down where there are cost differences between your current state of operations and, and this transition. Um, both are really important. And I think that's where we've seen a lot of uh, momentum in the United States, the IRA Act, you know, encouraging adoption as well as providing funding. Both ends of the spectrum help. Uh, to bring the whole ecosystem forward. Sure. Okay. Let's ask a final question then, because you've been very good at being grilled. You haven't ducked to any of the questions. Th thank you for that, Peter. Um, but just to sort of summarize, you know, what are the unique, you know, challenges that fleet operators face when electrifying at scale, particularly at scale? Um, and, and, the challenges and the hurdles, some of which we've talked about, how, how mm -hmm. best can people navigate those hurdles? G give us a, or try and encapsulate what we've been speaking about for nearly an hour, just sure. in terms of getting on with it and all of that stuff, please. Yeah, so I think uh, first and foremost, it comes with understanding of motivations and goals as an organization. Coming together, having alignment from the top, uh, it does hit on a lot of different teams within an organization. So I think having that collaborative nature internally is a very important first step. And then reaching out, you know, finding your partners ourselves being an option, but, you know, understanding how am I going to go about this? How do I plan for this? And really making sure that I'm taking a measured approach because it is a journey that's going to take multiple years. Where do you start? Where are you going to end up? And what's the path look like along the way? And starting early. A lot of these pieces of the puzzle will take time, utility engagement, infrastructure development. And so understanding how you can best sequence things so you're not caught on the back foot. I think that's my biggest summary point would be be proactive, lean in. This is coming. There's a lot of benefits to be had uh, and making sure that you're being proactive about your approach as opposed to reactive will mean that you have more flexibility and success in your adoption. Hmm. I think that's, I think that's nicely put. And I think particularly given you're in America with now the massive impetus that's come out of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is what it's, well, not far off 400 million, 400 million dollars for everything. That's not just charging infrastructure, obviously. Um, <clears throat> there has not been a better time to do it. And again, um, playing the role of hypothetical fleet operator, what, what, 
what comes across from what you're explaining to me is that if you don't do it, your competitors will. And if their customers are demanding more vehicles that are delivered using zero tailpipe emission vehicles, then you're going to lose, you're going to lose contracts. You're going to lose mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And even if then you decide that you want to go ahead and do it, um, you might then find you've got an 18 month wait. Um, cause I guess it's not just for the practical things like the grid stuff, all the big stuff. It's also simple stuff, isn't it? About ordering vehicles. Mm -hmm. Given the challenge of building batteries without getting off on a tangent, you know, there is an increasingly so, particularly for commercial fleets, a lead time to consider for a lot mm -hmm. of these vehicle adoptions. So, you know, don't get at the end of a big long queue is what you've said to me for a number of these aspects. Just, you know, Get in touch with the company. Let us help you. We'll, you know, you don't have to do everything just like that, but at least mm -hmm. have a plan and a chronology of events that allows you to, to get going as soon as it's practical to do so. That, that's basically what you've told us, isn't it? Definitely. And the vehicles are one piece. I would say, you know, uh, the electrical equipment is another. It's just There's all matter of things that you need to be deciding on. Ignorance is bliss for the the, <laughs> the variety of solutions that need to be implemented. But I would say that you don't have to know what you don't have to know and come reach out to a partner and we're happy to help. So uh, we're here every day having conversations and they're really exciting because it's it's the playbook is not written yet. Or, you know, this is still an evolving industry, but really exciting times and exciting to be part of the just you know doing good while while making a change yeah and you say ignorance is bliss but it might also be the arena in which you lose to your competitors and find that you're then marooned because sure. everybody else has kind of gone for their infrastructure gone for their vehicles and you're you're at the end of the queue um peter thank you so much for giving us this glimpse obviously people can look at uh, the website understand what you're doing mm -hmm. see some of uh, what you've done before and what you're doing now and in the future thank you for being so generous with your time um, I'm certainly going to find out, you know, m m more about what you're doing because I, I think that comment that your CEO had a few years ago, yeah, indeed was very prescient and we're now on with it. So, so thank you to you. Thank you for our audience. If you're listening to this on the podcast, um, there's plenty more to look at as well. We've been doing this for 18 months. This was particularly enjoyable, particularly in America at the moment with the impetus that the Inflation Reduction Act has brought. So, this is the time to get on with it. That's what we're saying. Peter Cohen and Roger Atkins are saying, get on with it. What are you waiting for? So thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Roger. It was great.